Welcome to the Pure Gold Podcast. This is Jared Pitney, and today I am joined by Coach David Gunn, who has recently been hired not only as the head football coach for the Pure Gold Rams, but also uh, is serving as a school improvement specialist and the district athletic coordinator. So, Coach Gunn, welcome to Paragold, and thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Jared, thanks so much for having me. So, you have uh, quite the impressive resume. Um, you played for the Razorbacks from 1984 to 1987, which included an 84 uh, Liberty Bow and uh, 1997 Orange Bow. Um, out of college, you began coaching high school football, and you were successful at that. Uh, so I think um, I read where you won several uh, conference and state championships. Eventually went on to coach at ASU, which is where I uh, first heard about you. I think you coached there for 11 years where you served as the interim, I remember, head coach uh, at the GoDaddy Bowl, uh, which we got the victory. And so, um, and then you went on to be assistant athletic director at uh, Auburn University for, I believe, four years. And so, I want to dive into a lot of that. I also want to talk about just kind of, I know what's a, a ministry and a mission of yours, which is mentoring students and helping boys become men. But first, uh, I want you to tell me, be honest, I respect your opinion. Um, we just went and, and tossed the ball a little bit, right? Out of the field house. Assuming I'm a 17-year-old, seeing what you've seen, do I have a uh, position on your football team? Could I Could I make the cut? Coach, listen, uh, Jared, Jared does this kind of thing a lot. Don't, don't. Don't feel the need to. Yeah, I, I want I want honesty. You know. Okay. okay. I mean, all I did was you know I played seventh grade football. I'm just wondering, could I have made the high school football team under your leadership? Seeing what you've seen today. And tell me your height again. Uh, I don't know. What do you think I am? Six three. That's that's probably about right. Let's yeah. go with that. So you weren't six two, but I mean six six before this broadcast, were you? No. Okay. Good. Yes, you would have made a team. Okay. Uh, we'll play, put your wide receiver and just okay. threw the ball up and say, go get it, Jerry. Yeah, that's what I'm you talking know. about. Man. Uh, Chris Collinworth, you remember that guy? Sure. Played for the Bengals? You sure. Know, you've been a miniature like Chris <laughs> Collinsworth. You know, it's it's probably a good thing you weren't around uh, whenever I was in high school because no telling where I'd be right now. I probably could have handled the success, and the Lord knew that. And so here I am instead. God has a way of working <laughs> things out. So, all right. Well, thank you. Um I would love, again, like I said, to talk a little bit about kind of what you're doing right now with Paragol. But before we do that, just tell me a little bit about your story and kind of how you got to where you are today. Because let's be honest, uh, this move don't make a lot of sense. And so help us understand. That's a correct statement. Uh, most of the moves my wife and I have made has not made any sense to us or anyone else. But I seem to be the way God works, the Lord works. But I grew up in a little small town, England, Arkansas. It's only about, oh, 25 minutes southeast of the Little Rock Airport, population about 3,000, actually 2,998 since my wife and I left. Not too many, uh, uh, much growth there, but no, it's our hometown. We love it. Mm. Um, still have family there. But uh, there wasn't a whole lot to do in England. So everyone participated in sports. Of all the guys that I grew up with, you know, you just went from – football, to, uh, to basketball, to track. And uh, England really had a tough time uh, in athletics. I can remember my seventh grade year when uh, we hired a new football coach, a man, a man by the name of Galen Gibbs, who was a godly man, uh, a faithful follower of the Lord. Mm. And he walked in and said, guys, uh, we're going to change this, and we're going to change it by working you and working you harder than you've ever worked. And he did. Uh, my senior year, we actually played for uh, the state championship. And so he was a very um, instrumental part of my life as far as an excellent model 
it was there where I saw, okay, this is what a coach can do. Not having a father. My wife and I both grew up in single-parent homes. I come from a family of seven. I'm the fifth one. Uh, she comes from a family of four, and she was the oldest one. But what athletics was able to do for me and providing me that, uh, I guess, that structure. Now, things was a little bit different then. Although I didn't have a father, I had a mother and a grandmother. My, my mother would work mostly doing domestic work during the day. And my grandmother, you know, took care of the grandkids. And now she ran the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you didn't get out of line with her. And so a, a lot of this, you know, parents said, well, I can't handle my kids, kind of new to me. Uh, but uh, she was a woman that uh, was a praying woman. And mm -hmm. I know uh, many of those prayers, oh, I'm old enough now to look back to see that many of those prayers was mm -hmm. probably was for me. But uh, going back to... Uh, the, the school era for me and, and going through high school and participating in athletics, just like I said, was nothing else to do. But um, my grandmother passed when I was a sophomore in high school. And my mother only lived, we had two houses. Uh, my mother lived in one. Uh, my grandmother lived in another. Actually, it was project units. And for mm. somehow we was able to keep that unit after my grandmother died. They, they allowed us to keep that unit. Mm. And by the time I got to my senior year, I actually became a Christian between my ninth grade and sophomore year at FCA camp, uh, National FCA camp. Galen Gibbs was the man that took us. He took him really? and another guy by the name of Ron Hayes, who was assistant coach, took two carloads. What an incredible impact that guy had. Yeah, young men to uh, National FCA camp. It was held in Fayetteville, Arkansas at the time. We thought that was the other side of the world from England. <laughs> and it was, at, uh, it was at that camp where I asked Jesus you know, into my life. I'd been baptized before. Yeah. But it was the first time I realized that baptism alone was not going yeah, to save sure. me. A yeah. uh, young man shared the bridge illustration with me and that, you know, I had a sin problem. Mm -hmm. Jesus was a solution to that sin problem, but I had to respond. And uh, truly understood that night what it meant to put my faith in him as he being my substitute, dying on the cross for my sin. And so we uh, we said the prayer, but actually it was a decision that we made that was just vocalized totally, through the yeah. prayer that you no know, we was gonna follow Christ. Went on next two years on fire for the Lord. Like I said, that that spring of my sophomore year, my grandmother died. And from that point, looking back, I made to see that now when they see that then is that uh, uh mother did the best she could, raising seven kids. She's the only one now. Goodness. Having that um unsupervised time. By the time I got to my senior year the spring semester of my senior year, I found myself engaging in activities I should not have been doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, my my wife today of 33 years, I think I got that right. Uh, <laughs> she'll let me know if I didn't. <laughs> we found ourselves about to be teen parents at 18 and 16. Wow. And poor project kids had to make a decision. Uh, this is a decision that defined me if you want to know who I am. And we all uh, we we thought about you no know, terminating the pregnancy. Thank God that we didn't. She had more courage at that time than I did, mm -hmm. and uh, we made the decision that we're going to have this baby. And it was at that point, and she would vouch this. I told her she'd never have to worry again. Uh, that moving forward, I'm going to be there and going to be a father to my child. Wow! And 
I didn't realize that you couldn't become uh, a good father without being a good husband. Now, now, I quickly realized that just from God sending men into my because life. Because you had no, other than the coach, right? No other real examples. No, I had a, uh, I had a couple of uncles okay. who was in and out, you know. Some of them, uh, only one lived in England at the time, and but he had a family. Now, he would stop by occasionally and make sure, boys, you, you better be doing what you're supposed to. But still, mm-hmm. you know, okay, he's leaving for long, and we go back doing what we want to do. <laughs> Uh, but uh, that was not necessarily a lifestyle. Like I said, that the second semester of my uh, of my senior years, when when now looking back, when I see where all the lack of supervision, lack of not having someone um, uh, to hold you accountable, even in high school, because we had a strong FCA huddle, uh, not holding you accountable was where how we found ourselves there. But Alicia and I made up our mind that we was going we was going to have this child. And we were going to raise this child to the best of our ability. But it was there, Jerry, that uh, I can still remember the day where we actually cried out to the Lord to help us. Wow. And, uh, and he did. I went on to school. Uh, she stayed behind and worked. Her mother uh, helped us uh, with Tiffany for the most part. That's my oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, she, she kept her. Alicia went to work. I went to school. And then when I finished school, we married. And uh, first job, you know, we in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, at a place called Watson Chapel High School. Were you coaching? Yeah, I was. Okay. So first job I ever had was a coaching job. Well, actually, the first job I ever had was a job working. They, uh, they called them day and night stores uh, during that time. These gas stations stayed open all night where I just graduated. Didn't have nothing at the time. I was, man, I got to work. You know, we got a family to take yes. care of. And, uh, and they hired me for about two months, and uh, we did that night shift. But one day, a, a fellow by the name of Danny Knight, who's the superintendent of the school, gave me a call and said, Coach, we heard you want to coach football. Would you like to come down and see what we have? And you got to know Mr. Knight. He's this icon among uh, school administrators, a great man. And uh, that was our first job. So we moved to Pine Bluff and began our, our family. And what we thought God was calling us to do is not just coach, but to impact the lives of these young men through coaching and largely because of what I seen so and even experienced. At that age, yeah. You already had that desire. Yeah. Uh the only reason I went to college so I would coach. They wouldn't let you coach without one, <laughs> without yeah. a degree. And uh and we knew that uh, you know, if we're gonna have a, a chance, uh then one of us had to get a degree and we decided since I was the oldest and uh it would be best for me uh, to go on and go to school. Um we had people there in England that gave us jobs and things like that. But uh, as far as giving us the best chance, uh, we, some one of us needed to go to college. And God was in all of that because he had men waiting on me in college. Get to college, meet a gentleman by the name of Trey Smith. And Trey uh, was, a, was an older guy on the football team. And so he began discipling me. But you may not have heard of Trey. Trey planted a church up in uh, the St. Louis area. There was a gentleman by the name of Steve Shatrack mm. who had been discipling Trey Smith. And uh, Steve is a part of, uh, you know, a, a global organization now as far as making disciples all over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, those guys, I was there uh, for accountability, for discipleship, you know, what it's like to, you know, to pray, how should we do Bible study. None of these guys, no, except uh, Steve at the time, you no know, had any type of, you know, seminary training. It was just Steve took Trey show him how to do the things that we needed to do, the fundamentals, prayer, word, fellowship, uh, worship, uh, what those things truly looked like. 
witnessing. We would go out and witness uh, yeah. once a week, you know. Back then, you go knock on dorm doors, yeah. and people actually yeah, open yeah. them. Oh, <laughs> they don't open no, them no, anymore. I used, to, uh, I used to teach evangelism explosion. Have you ever that, heard of that? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Kennedy. James yeah, Kennedy. Yeah, that's it, man. Yeah. So my first job as a pastor, that's what I would do. And I joke about it now because we would have, like, you know, these 80-year-old women that would come through my classes, and then we would go over to, like, you know, the toughest neighborhoods or whatever yeah. we could. And just, yeah, like you said, at night, like, people were eating dinner yeah. or whatever, knocking on the door, and just the first thing out of her mouth is, if you were to die right now, <laughs> exactly. It's like not the best open yeah. line, but yeah. But that was all we knew. That's and, all you uh, know, man. You know, the cold turkey route, um, how effective that is, you know, you can debate it if you want to, but it did more for us. Totally. Than maybe uh, the people was witnessing to. And, but it was amazing. Most people were still, hey, listen, and then they tell you I'm not interested. Uh, that didn't change a little bit now. People don't even open the doors anymore and uh, let us know I'm interested. But, uh, that's how we got started, and, and then after graduating, like, we go work, and um, we knew that uh, we wanted to impact the lives of, of young men just by being there for them. I was in oh, high school, I guess, 12 years. I was assistant coach at Watson Chapel, and we won uh, the state championship. We was a state runner-up. Uh, never won one as a head coach myself. I leave there and go to McClellan High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, and was there for five years. And now we get a chance to run our own program. Mm. And uh, had a great example there, the head coach at the time. And uh, Watson Chapel was a fellow by the name of Lonnie Sutton, very good football coach, uh, invested a lot in me as far as just teaching me uh, the game. And so now we go to McClellan. We're there for five years. And uh, year four, I get an opportunity to go to get into college. Actually accepted the How job. How did that happen? Well, the, the gentleman, I'm going to call his name in a minute, he, he would come through recruiting. And, uh, okay. you know, we never talked about working together or anything like that. But, uh, you know, he'd come by and he would stay a little longer. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe he should, just joking there. He'll, he'll get a kick out of this. But watching us work out and do different things. And uh, year four, he offered me to come uh, on his staff. He was at Division school, two school called Southern Arkansas University. And we actually accepted a job. It was in Magnolia, Arkansas. They had a Walmart and a McDonald's, and we said that's all we needed. Uh, we had two children at this time. Our youngest is Bethany, and then Bethany actually runs Project MP3, all the mm-hmm. you know day-to-day operations for us. And um, we uh, we take the job, and I get home that night, and I have no peace about it. And I've never done that before. We've always gotten home, discussed it, prayed over it. But we took the whole family down there, so everybody got a chance to see it. My, my oldest was pretty successful in athletics. And so uh, he asked her what she thinks. She was good with it, but God wasn't. Mm. No peace, no sleep. And I got up that morning. Uh, I told Alicia, I said, "Sugar, this, this is not the mm. decision for it." And I said, "We have. I have no idea why we are to turn this down because everything on the surface was. I mean, everything we looked for. The head coach, by the day, by the way, was a guy by the name of Steve Roberts. Wow. And so I had to call coach that morning. I said, "Coach, I don't know what to say." Uh, I, I jumped too soon on that decision. I said, I can't take the job. Mm. Tiffany was getting ready to be a senior. And uh, we said, well, we, what's best for her? We just need to stay where we are. And, you know, Magnolia would have been great. She wouldn't have had any problem adapting. But I remember hanging up the phone telling Alicia, I don't know why we were supposed to turn this, do- this job down, but God will show us later. Fast forward about three months. This was probably January, February when uh, he was offering me the job. Uh, about three or four months later, uh, the job at Northwestern Louisiana State comes open. 
and it's late in the process. And he gets the job, and he's only able to take one coach with him. And so uh, uh, he takes that guy, and he goes to Northwestern Arkansas, uh, Northwestern State there in Louisiana. And I forgot to share this part. When we hung up the phone, he said, maybe another time, another place. Those was his words. Like maybe. Yeah, no, we didn't think nothing of it. Fast forward 18 months, he completes two seasons, does a great job. Arkansas State calls him to mm-hmm. become the head football coach at Arkansas State. He calls me up, David, about to get the Arkansas State job. Are you interested in coming with me? And my worst actually, coach, get the job and call me back, knowing that I'm going to take it. I said, I don't know how that came across yeah. to him. Yeah. He got the job, and he called me next morning. He said, man, I'd like for you to come be our That's running cool. backs coach. And uh, we get to Arkansas State. Actually, I broke my foot of my ankle. Uh, it's the uh, I'm reporting that Sunday afternoon, and I take the family out skating on Saturday. <laughs> I'm standing in the middle of the skating ring. We're ready to finish. I'm waiting on my daughter to make her last lap, uh, and, and we're, we're going home. All of a sudden, I just see some kid out of control. I call my eye. They come. They take my legs away from me. And I go to get up. I can't get up. I look underneath me, man. I'm not going to describe what it looks like. Was that your worst injury in all your sports? Oh, yeah. Career? Yeah, it wasn't even sports, uh, by the way. And the doctor said, well, if you've been your daughter, you, your career would have been over. And so uh, I called him. I said, Coach, I just broke my leg. You still want me to come? He said, man, come on. And I can't, I can't even go out recruiting or anything like that. But So I hop, hop on up here. And you have to know Coach Rob, this is a good man, a godly man that, uh, you know, he lived it. He wanted to impact his kids more than beyond the field. Mm. And so we came to work for him. And uh, all within a couple of months after we were here, uh, we started a Bible study in our home. And there was two football players and three track girls. And, you know, we just started reaching out to the students. And by our third year, fourth year, we moved it to campus. And it just started taking off. On Thursday nights, we'll have 40, 50, sometimes 60 kids right wow. there in the student union. Uh, then, you know, fast forward a couple more years, and we had no idea. All we wanted to do was help kids. Yes. Uh, we were a part of a ministry there where we was helping on the north side of town, but we decided it was best for us to come back to campus and just focus on the college kids. And so we started meeting there in the BCEM building, Baptist mm-hmm. Collegiate Ministry, mm-hmm. right in the heart of Arkansas State, great location. And uh, people just started showing up. Um, the goal was just because some of the kids were not comfortable in some of the churches, you know, in the community. Wasn't nothing wrong with the churches. They just, you know, we thought it would be a, uh, give them an option now because they was asking us about us. Cause we just started doing something on Sundays mm-hmm. and people started coming. People from the community started coming. And for I know it, somebody was yelling past us. No, wait a minute now. None of that. <laughs> Pastor just, coach. Yeah, just coach. Actually, it was said Pastor. No, just coach now. But uh, but God began to do a work there. And everything that we do now through Project MP3 began to come to its full fruition there at Arkansas State. We had done it throughout high school, done those things throughout high school, as both assistant and head coach. But now uh, doing that, I and mean, we, had, we had no idea what God was up to. We were just... Yeah, you're needed. just trying to be faithful, right? Yeah, like, yeah. just trying to meet a need. And uh, Alicia was working with the young ladies. I was working with the men. Most of those uh, young men were our football players, but they started inviting their friends. And then mm-hmm. the friends started inviting their girlfriends. And, and before we know it, you know, we, we had a, a, a decent uh, little congregation meeting every Sunday morning right on campus there. Hmm. And that was how many years in? 
Oh, I guess four? by yeah, uh, probably no more like year seven before we started the actual Sunday. Okay. Uh, then because trust me, brother, you know I wasn't. I, man, now wait a minute, I've been looking yeah. too much like pastor yeah. and all that. I don't want to be doing any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, but once we got started, it just came natural to us. And so our last four years, uh, maybe in five years, uh, on campus there, we were we were doing that um, and uh, just trying to reach students. What was that? What was it like? You know, we just finished the book of Ecclesiastes in our church, and we talked about the reality of there's a lot of these things that we look at in America, and we're like, a college coach would be one of those, you know, of like, man, you know, like, what a great position to be in. If I could if I could get into a position of power like that, make some money like that, and be around some of these athletes, eventually go pro, like, that would be fulfilling, right? Like, and, and maybe it's not college football coach. There's a thousand fill in the blanks, but that's one of them even for me that I've on the outside looked in and been like, wow, what a dream job. I'm curious from your perspective, um, and I think I know what you would say, like, did becoming a college football coach, did that feel any sort of void in your life? Or did you find like complete fulfillment and contentment in that? Or is it just another one of those things where it's like, hey, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a job. Like, what would you say? For me, going back to coaching being a calling again, mm-hmm. I can never separate the two. Yeah. Now, you have some guys that just coach, and they would tell you that uh, just the coaching alone does not fill the void. There's a lot of men who are empty, who are, you know, I can call names that are uh, very successful on the collegiate level, but uh, have not filled the void because only one person can fill that, and we know that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a very rewarding feel because you get to work with young men. And over the years now, I'm 58, now I'm looking back, hence what I've been able to see. Adults, you can advise. My wife and I have worked with millennial couples here in the last four years. And for the most part, we can give them good advice. Mm -hmm. What is boiled down, you know, we've certainly, uh, our attention has been the discipleship process. College, you can influence High school, you can shape. Mm. And so it's, it's, I ask guys all the time, why are you in coaching? If it's because I love the game, then you'll miss out on the kids and the Lord. If you love the Lord, then you love kids, then you love the game. That is a proper order. And so what we've always tried to do is that through this process, it's been a means to reach an end for us. We love coaching. We love, uh, we love football. We love everything about mm-hmm. team sport. It is our objective to win. Uh, even on the scoreboard, don't yeah. ever misunderstand yeah, that. Sure. Uh, but the final analysis was, if you want to evaluate things, was how are we impacting the young men and the young ladies, because Alicia is right there beside me, uh, who God has entrusted us with. So would you say that your greatest joy as you look back at your coaching career so far, has it been more of the relational and mentorship discipleship part of it than it has been even the big wins like the GoDaddy Bow? Without question. And, and by the way, the year I was the interim coach, we lost. So, oh, uh, did y'all really? Yeah, we okay, lost that man. Year. See, I, you didn't have to tell me that. Huh? Yeah, no, no, we <laughs> lost, brother. But uh, yes, it's the relationships. Um, you know, when I was out for four and a half years, guys, coach, you got to get back in, you got to get back in. Had no desire because we was very, uh, everything that we was doing through our ministry project can be three was no different than what we had done as a coach. Nothing. Uh, and coaching is truly discipleship, but it's 
discipling guys to be football players rather than mm-hmm. followers sure. of Christ. And I don't mean that in a negative way sure. whatsoever. Yeah. And so if you can transfer all the the skills and all the, the organization, all the things that you learn through coaching, you can walk right over into that arena of discipleship. And, guys, you don't miss out a whole lot because you're doing the exact same thing. It's just the end or the purpose behind it. And so, yes, it's the relationships by four. Our first year at Auburn, who's on staff to play for the national championship. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, you know, with all the hoopla and everything going on around us that, you know, thought it would be a little bit more than this. Really? Yeah. How so? Um, it's, you know, you just caught up in getting the, getting the game plan ready. You caught up in uh, getting to the game. And, and my responsibility at that time was overseeing the team and making sure everything was, was flowing like it was supposed to be. And so you don't even get the chance to think about those things. And But I had uh, friends who have been on national championship teams who have actually made that statement. I just thought it would be more than wow. what I anticipated. You know, so the game is over. You go on, and now you got to get ready for the – the next season. We were talking about Tom Brady earlier, and there's a quote where he was on 60 Minutes. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read it, but he, I shared it actually in our Ecclesiastes series where after he'd won all these Super Bowls, he and it's this really sad interview because he's sitting there and he's got, you know, he's got a, a, a supermodel wife, you know, all the money you could imagine. He's a good-looking man, lots of one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and he's in this interview and he says, but I just still feel like I look back and I'm like, man, is that it? Is that it? Like, there's got to be more. And yeah. then someone said, I can't remember who was in the interview, and they said, well, what do you think is more? Like, what, what do you think it is that you need to be fulfilled? And he literally just said, I wish I knew. Yeah. I wish I knew. You find a lot of uh, young men and men as well in, in athletics that uh, will make that same statement. And, you know, the, the drive to be successful, the, uh, the drive to maximize their potential, which is nothing wrong with that. Uh, thinking that once I get there, that's going to satisfy me, but it never does. I've yet to meet someone who are able to look back and say, you know, all the hours I gave up with family, you know, all the things that I, I sacrificed that has eternal value, that it was worth it. I've yet to meet a man uh, to say those things, even if that man was not saved. Mm. So uh, looking back, you know, you get perspective. He said, I wish I spent more time with my children who are adults yes. now and all those things. So it's a great sport. Uh, athletics is just great, but I think we may have taken it a little bit too far in America today. Yeah, just a little bit. We're such a competitive culture, and I don't know what that. I don't know how that happened, but I think in a lot of that, like I would say, I struggle with being competitive. I've always been competitive. I mean, I played sports growing up, and I can still be competitive, you know, in different areas of my life and compare myself to other people. I'm curious, um, not just when it comes to sports, but in life. Like you've experienced loss right? How do you deal with loss? Because for some people, it can eat us up, right? Like you lose in a game or you lose something in life. I mean, it just destroys you. And you almost, it's like you can almost live your life more than even trying to win of just like not lose. You hate losing so much, you know? And so I'm just curious, like, you have any advice for me or for listeners on how do you deal with loss whenever you don't hit your goal or reach that potential or accomplish what you thought you were going to accomplish? Very good question. First, you have to remember that uh, it may be a setback as far as the battle, that one particular battle, but not the war. And in, in football, you play once a week. And so there's, there's been many heartbreaks, you know, on Friday night or even a Saturday where, guys, there's another game coming. Mm-hmm. And so you have to quickly move on 
from that loss. You have to quickly move on from that heartbreak, which I think prepares you for life that you know, we got another opponent coming and you don't want the last loss to defeat you again. And mm. uh, the ones who are able to make that adjustment are the ones that do very well, especially you know in, in, in competitive sports. But it's the same with life. Uh, we're going to face trials. We're going to face setbacks. But the Lord has promised to bring us through them. No temptation is overtaking you except that that's coming to man. And God will not allow us to be tempted, trialed, tested beyond what we could bear. But with the temptation, provide a way of escape. And that way of escape is the, matter of fact, it's already been provided. Mm-hmm. And so what we have to do is just stay the course and continue, you know, to trust the Lord, continue to move forward. And he leads us through that. So uh, we're, always gonna, we're gonna always have dark days. Those days are going yeah. to come. Yeah. They've been promised to us. Yeah. But the sun is going to shine in the morning. Mm. Mm-hmm. That must be our focus. Yeah, that's a good lesson. So you finish up your time at Auburn. You get out of coaching. Did you ever think you were getting going to get back into it? We were done. You were done. Uh, okay. Wasn't disappointed at all. Um, all the things that we started doing at Arkansas State as far as the discipleship with the young men and the women, uh, when we get to Auburn now, we're able to put that all on paper for the most part. Let's just use that statement. And we started this um, uh, this program called Project MP3. As a matter of fact, we were not going to Auburn. Once again, every job we've ever had, people said, you're taking that job, you're crazy, with the exception of Auburn. And no folks will call and say, man, how did you get there? By not listening to people like you. <laughs> but no, just a joke there. But uh, my wife and I were not going. We were going to finish up what we was doing in uh, Jonesboro. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the plan was to get a job, maybe just teaching, continue to work with the kids on campus. Uh, didn't even want to continue on with, uh, with the staff that was coming in. Nothing against Coach Harson. Uh, did a great job there, but we were done. We figured uh, God is calling us to this right here in perfect timing. That seemed to be the way he works in our lives. And Coach was calling me quite often, said, man, I got something better for you, even coaching when you come down. And I said, what could be better than coaching? And um, he leaves first week in December. I uh, finally go down like the second week uh, in January. And the plan was Alicia and I was going to go down, have a late lunch or early dinner with he and his wife, uh, and then we was going to drive back into Birmingham, spend the night, come on back to Jonesboro because we knew exactly what God wanted us to do. And that was continue working with the students there at Arkansas State. We ended up spending the night. That had nothing to do with, I guess, changing our minds. But we get up the next morning, so we heading back, and we just, you know, we're driving, we're talking. And I asked her, what does she think? I never made a move without my wife uh, being in agreement and her insight. And she said, it's I don't know what to say. I just got this strange feeling. God wants us in Auburn, Alabama. And nothing that they took us to see it to no impress us, anything like that. It's just visiting with those guys. And mm-hmm. I said, that's crazy. I feel like God's telling me the same thing. And we get home. In fact, soon we get home, Coach called me. I don't know if he remembered that. And I said, Coach, we're not coming. And about Gus Miles, huh? Yeah. Nice. And I said, we're not coming. And, uh, you know, thinking all along what, what's going on inside of us now, and so he and I talked about uh, this about each day that week, and I called the gentleman that was with us at the church. I said, brother, I need you praying with me. I said, um, I, I don't know how to handle this. I just see everything we're supposed to be doing is, is right here, and we think God is calling us to Auburn, Alabama. And uh, so he started praying with me, a fellow by the name of Jim Agan, who's uh, in Jonesboro, Arkansas. I'm assuming Jim is still there. 
And by the end, by that Thursday, it was clear that we were supposed to go to uh, to Alabama out of all places. Wow. And uh, so we get up that Sunday, and we, I said, well, I'm not going to pro- prolong this. We're going to announce it to the church. And we're just asking God help them to understand. And we get up that Sunday, and we announce it to the church. And God really helped them to understand so good. I said, okay, man, y'all want me to leave? <laughs> but, yeah, like, you thought you'd be like crying. Yeah, Please don't yeah. go. Yeah. But no, it's, no, Coach, we, we understand. And, uh, and so we, um, we leave. We go to Auburn. And we get there, and I don't still don't know what my title is. I never forget this day. The first day I'm there, Coach Malzahn meets me there after you enter the lobby, and he's getting ready to go recruit. He said, "I want you to get to know our players." And so I just start calling kids, and no different involves position coach, you no know, doing these little interviews. We have exit interviews mm-hmm. uh, with our kids, and and um, probably got through about 35 or 40 kids that first week because we were just doing this all day just okay tell me who you are or what's going on and each one of those kids in some form or fashion referring back to that previous summer and there was a shooting that took place right before the season kicked off and summer school was out and they were waiting on fall camp to begin and uh, they were at pool party one gym goes out to the car gets a gun comes back and starts shooting and mm. uh, a couple of young men uh, uh, died from that. I don't know if you remember. Mm-hmm. Coach Chidrick just won the national championship mm-hmm. a couple of years before. And so uh, they end up releasing that staff. Coach comes in. I come in. But everyone is referring to this in some form or fashion. And I said, Coach, this is still in the hearts of these young men. This is what I'm saying. It's okay, we'll finish up. Because they, you know, they'll go, come, come back to campus on weekends to have recruiting weekends and then go back out for the week to stay in contact with the recruits and uh, uh, do the recruiting thing. And so I get it finished the following week, and by the end of the week, I just go talk to the athletic director, a fine man by the name of Jay Jacobs. Jay's no longer AD there. He's in some role at, uh, I think he's executive AD at the University of Florida now, but this outstanding man. Mm -hmm. And I said, Jay, you know, what's going on here as far as uh, what happened there? And because I want to know what closure they brought to it. And there was really no closure ever brought to it. And so when Coach gets asked, Coach, this is what you got to deal with. Uh, these guys are hurting. And if we don't reach them here, then wow. we're not going to reach them. And i never forget, he looks at me and says, Coach, we'll just do what you did back in Jonesboro. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, you brought me here to test my faith. I'm about to be fired. <laughs> I, said, I, I, I promise you, this is my thought. Uh, I said, Coach, I'm not doing that. He said, what do you mean you're not doing that? I said, you come in, you see something that took 10 years to build. Because we had some very mature kids. They was doing Bible study by themselves. They was witnessing. And, and God was really doing a, a, a great thing on campus. And I said, Coach, that was not man-made. That was God-made. I said, uh, that wasn't anything David Gunn was doing. And so mm-hmm. now we're going to go in and we're going to tell these 18 to 22-year-olds who are mad, brokenhearted, and feeling betrayed in, 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 in some sense that now you got to come to a Bible study and we're going to make you, not me. And I'm not, you laughing, but this is actually taking place. I'm sitting here the whole time saying he's getting ready to tell me hit the road. Uh, you know, you don't talk to head coaches like that. And so he said in his words, man, we got to come up with something. I go back to my room at night. First thing I do, I call Alicia. I said, Sugar, um, won't you know, maybe coming back home because it took her about a month, six weeks to get down there. And uh, I said, well, maybe coming home. I said, I'm just not going to do this. That's not going to work. And then it wasn't anything where he's going to make me because Coach is a good man. And he mm-hmm. said, well, because the final words, we got to come up with something. And I have no idea where it came from. 
and I just remember scribbling things on my notepad that night back there at the apartment by myself. And I felt like God gave us a manhood definition. And it's kind of lengthy. And I didn't even have, uh, we didn't even use the, the the main part in our in our lecture to the kids uh, most of the time. And I explain what that means. But we said a man is a male who persistently provides responsible leadership that has a beneficial impact over multiple generations. Mm-hmm. That was our definition. And now uh, that there's a section in there. If you had parentheses, a male who provides responsible leadership from a biblical perspective that has a beneficial impact over multiple generations. And so I go in. Uh, this is two days later. I said, well, I better think through this before I go in with this. And uh, I said, Coach, this is what we'll do. We'll go in and we'll teach them. Uh, and ask them to be a part of, let's, let's pursue this definition of a man. What does it mean to be a man? And ask them to be a part of this. Not demanding, but come in and be a part of this with us. And I just take every word here. There's, there's eight qualities there. Mm-hmm. And what we would do is once a week, we would spend time on one word. First word is a male. Yeah, uh, a male, and we kind of got into the, the the physical aspects of a male, and you know, a male is 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 not a man. And at this time, the kids would even laugh. It's because we know all this stuff. I said that's a difference because this is about when we start saying you're no longer a man, no longer gender, no longer determined by your physical characteristics, but your psychological makeup. Uh, just a few years later, Caitlin comes on. Caitlin Jennings comes on the scene and. Now the kids are, oh, I know it. So we spend time on mail. And just being mature, how you're handling yourself, getting to class on time for these mm-hmm. guys, with, you know, handling responsibility. And then with persistence, not quitting, regardless of what you're doing. But it's not just for athletes. It's just a man getting up, going to work mm-hmm. every week. And we just took each one of those qualities and went eight weeks. And what we did, what Coach did, and you won't find coaches doing this. matter of fact, you'll find this on the SEC network somewhere is that once a week for 30 minutes uh, a week, each section, everyone that touched football was in the team meeting room, and we taught manhood. Wow. All the coaches, all the players, anyone else that may have had anything to do with the football program, and it began to change the mentality of our kids. Wow. uh, Where the second week, man, they in there ready to go. You always had to be in your seat five minutes before anyway, but. No, they're ready to roll. Uh, I would always grab coach, and we would go down, and know the guys would, would start sending for us. And, but coach, we can't stop now. We got to keep this going. So this was doing spring ball. So we come back and we pick it up that summer. We continue with it that summer, and I, I just added another phase to it. And uh, before we knew it, we had like a, a two-year curriculum, certainly a year and a half, where we was teaching this. We wanted a kid to go through this twice before he graduated. And so we were teaching what it meant to be a biblical man uh, using those qualities. Uh, we, Bruce Pearl gets the job for basketball. Mm-hmm. He said, you got to come teach this to our basketball really? team. Yeah, and so we started teaching with the basketball team. And then when we got ready to leave, baseball had inquired about it, uh, doing it. But by wow. this time, God started stirring our hearts. Football was going. All the things we see now, we were seeing. Uh, then uh, about with like just the, the changes the, yeah. that was coming about. And in my position, one of the biggest things, uh, you guys don't know how much you keep up with football, but the Baylor incident with Art Browse and all the things that come out of that, um, you know, some of the things look much worse than what they were. I'm not here to defend anyone. But you could see the changes that was getting ready to occur uh, in college football. And much of that oversight 
was going to be my position, which was no problem. I know we always welcome challenges and things like that. But God began to shift my heart as, uh, you know, how do we prevent those things from happening? Not reacting to them. And uh, uh, when the dad started asking me, the dads of these players started asking me, not just asking me, telling me, Coach, we need to do that for the dads. Now, these are dads that's coming from everywhere. When they would come on weekends, they're listening, you know, to what their, uh, how their sons are responding, the mom saying that. And they said, we need to do that from dads. And that's when God started to stir our hearts. Okay, is this something where we just have leverage over the kids and they're responding for us? Or is this something that's really out there? And our test was uh, that year, during the month of April, that was five Sundays. And uh, what I told uh, uh, Jay Jacobs, who's an athletic director, I said, Jay, do you mind if I do if I provide manhood for the student body? I said, we just put it out there, and whoever shows, show his man. I think that would be a great idea. Wow. And the bucket challenge was going on at that time. Yeah. We decided we'll have a manhood challenge. And there was one guy, he was about four feet tall, four feet wide. He's going to laugh if he hears this, that <laughs> we used to let come to sit in on some of our, our manhood meetings. And I told him, I said, I'm going to send you a text message. And we're going to call it the Manhood Challenge. I just want you to send it to one guy. And would you challenge him to send it to another guy? And uh, the first Sunday in April, 8 o'clock, we're going to meet in the team film, uh, in the team meeting room, and we're going to give five uh, sessions on manhood. The very first night, that was 49 kids show up. Mm-hmm. And all this through text message, we didn't advertise anything like that. And we go through each night, and by the third week, the my wife and I know when God's up to something. Because just you know, I just started stirring the heart. We knew He was up to something. And that that last Sunday night, and a couple other things that happened as well, where we finished that Sunday, and by that Tuesday, I was on my way out at the Auburn, and uh, had a guy coming right away. Said, "Man, you got to come here, Big Ten school." I said, "Nope." I got to be still right now because uh, God is calling us to something else. Wow. And um, we prayed that whole month of May. And we're spending all our time in Genesis 1 and 2. He wouldn't let me leave. And we already had this definition, but that is where the purpose became crystal clear to us. Uh, when you look at Genesis 2.15, when God placed a man in the garden, and he told him, I want you to cultivate it and keep it. That word cultivate bring out its fullest potential. Adam, you're responsible now to make sure this garden mm-hmm. reaches its fullest potential. you got to provide everything mm-hmm. it needs to do so. Mm-hmm. Provide. Mm-hmm. It's something that every man has in him to begin with to be a provider. Yes. And then he said, keep it. And that keep was to protect. And I said, okay, uh, protect from what? Well, we believe Satan was already in the garden at that time. Ecclesia, uh, I guess, uh, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. And, uh, if it's a spiritual protection, you know, as men, we say, man, somebody go touch my daughter. They got to deal with me. Well, we're always thinking physical, but what about the spiritual protection we mm-hmm. have to provide? Mm-hmm. And then he brings, and then he gives them the command. Don't touch this tree. You know, every other tree, you're welcome. And so he gives them his word, and then he brings them a woman. And then when he brings them that woman, it's recorded in Genesis 1.28, but it doesn't take place after Genesis 2.15. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm produce bring things into existence in this case babies but not just babies i believe god wants to go further when we look at what he's done in the first 27 verses first 26 verses all the creating and bringing things to existence bringing communities into existence bring churches into existence bring families into Mm -hmm. existence 
the only way you're going to have a good community is to have good churches. The only way you're going to have good churches is to have good families. The only way you're going to have good families is to have good men. That's how we arrived at Project MP3, men who produce, provide, and protect. The project is to take care of your garden, your sphere of influence, mm. to see that it reaches its maximum potential by doing those three things. And we feel like that is how God designed man. And when man is functioning in those three areas, those other characteristics is how you fulfill the producing, the providing, protecting, being responsible, being persistent, being a visionary, being unselfish, being a leader. And so all of it, God just brought it all together. And uh, the work is where we get that the word project is, is, the, is the work that Adam was to do. Well, we all have a project that God has given us. Mm. Are we fulfilling? Are we completing the project? Are we on the right project? Mm-hmm. The project that God has for every man and his wife. And so, uh, that is what we felt like God spoke to us, and that's when Project MP3 came into existence. It's great, man. So much, so many nuggets in there and so many things like threads I could pull. And I'm curious, so you talk about finding the right project. How how did you know, take you back to even the original question I asked when we started the podcast, how did you know that this position in Paragold was the right project for you <laughs> in this season? Uh, when Paragold first called, the, Tell us about that, by the way. That, yeah, I've heard bits and pieces of this, but like uh, those listening have no idea. Like Mr. this was a process. Yeah, right? Mr. Gary Jackson made the first call, and, uh, and he's a as he's assistant, assistant principal, assistant principal. Okay. And uh, the call was, uh, Coach, can you help me? We're trying to find a football coach, and uh, we we really like to get a good man in here. And I said, Yeah, man, I'll help you guys. No. Coached, I recruited the state for 11 years. At that time, I've been gone for eight, so I know many folks are used to, but I still got a lot of guys I know. And there was a couple of these guys won state championships that's out of coaching right now. And I said, okay, try this guy first. Mm-hmm. And then uh, here's another guy. Uh, but if the first guy turns you down, not interested, let me know before you call the second guy. And we just start working from there. So a week later, they called back. And uh, Mr. Jackson said, well, Dr. J would like to meet you, uh, Dr. Jen. Uh, yeah, Dr. Uh, Jen Kovac. Yeah, Jen Kovac. I get it out here. I said, okay, no problem. So he and I, on uh, he called one Sunday night, and we talk. And I'm telling him. Uh, Do you know at that point they're going to ask you to be the football coach? You know that's why he's calling you. He's going to try to throw a pitch at you. Well, the conversation is just introducing ourselves. Okay. And uh, we talk, we didn't talk anything about football. We actually prayed together. Uh, he shared his testimony. I shared mine, and we prayed together. That was it. Uh, the third conversation was, you ever thought about coaching? Guys, I'm done. I'm doing everything I feel like I've been called to do. Uh, we were in northwest Arkansas. Uh, my, uh, my, uh, my, my oldest daughter and her husband were both living there, both worked for Walmart. And uh, we have a grandson at this time. And so – you know, family's there. Yeah, and we spend in, in my my youngest was in Tennessee, uh, starting off, but now she's back in Northwest Arkansas. We got everyone there, uh, and uh, you know, my wife is homeschooling my grandson. Nothing could be better. Yeah, feel like we're doing God's will, and I said, no, I'm not your guy. I'm doing everything God wants me to do. Working with these young millennial couples. Uh, no, they drive drive you crazy, but we're working with them. <laughs> <laughs> just we, we we have some great we have some great young couples there. I mean, we feel totally fulfilled yeah. 
You weren't what, looking for something. No, we weren't looking for anything. You know, at the playground with my grandson, when I need to be there at swim lesson, at horseback yeah, ride. Yeah, you weren't out thinking, man, it'd be great if some high school coach yeah. would come call me to be there. Yeah, we weren't looking for anything. We've had offer every year. We've been out for four and a half years. We've had opportunity to get back. Sure. These guys don't call back. I'm done. Sure. But listening to him that night, and he he expressed his heart. I said, man, that guy got a heart for his community and for his school. Mm. And uh, and then we have another conversation. And this is, Mr. Gunn, are, would you be interested? No, Doc, I'm not. And uh, he started sharing more about, uh, matter of fact, here's the thing that did it uh, for all those that are listening. We were supposed to have a Zoom call one Friday morning. Mm-hmm. It's at 7 a.m. And he, Mr. Jackson, uh, I guess Mr. Jackson was making sure he was on a Zoom call. Well, I'm on, and they're not on. <laughs> don't waste my time now. No. You're like, if you're not early, you're late, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm one of those guys, you know, I believe in grace and all those things. Don't waste my time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of, okay, wait a minute now. Where are these guys? You've been pursuing me, and yeah. you're not even on the call. Yeah. Well, about 15 minutes later, I call those guys. Man, what's going on? Well, we're on our way to Northwest Arkansas. I'm wondering if we could stop by. What are you coming to Northwest Arkansas for? As we do everything on the Zoom. I said, you guys going to be here? I said, well, well, we're making a special trip over there, and so we wonder if we could stop by. My wife had just had surgery, uh, and but she was feeling better now, so I asked her, she goes, you up to that? Because like I said, I, I, she comes on. When we came here for the interview, my wife was sitting right there in the interview with me. You know, I'm, I know guys, my wife's probably there, part of everything that we do here. And so I said, okay, well, come on. I said, well, she said, Dave, you can't be rude. I said, well, nothing else. We let them get here, off them drink of water, and send them on their way. <laughs> He comes in, and uh, they sat down, and I told him, guys, I recommend you a couple of guys. Why didn't you go with them? And Dr. J. There's puts, nothing stirring in your heart yet. It's like, nah, I think I'm leading towards yeah. at this point. No, no, nothing. still not interested. Yeah, yeah. Good town, nothing wrong with the sure. town, nothing wrong with the people. Sure. He looks me in the eye. He said, I want uh, Project MP3 in my school and in my city. And when he said that, that was a game changer. Uh I said, you said what? And he did his homework, uh, so he knew everything that was about Project MP3. And I said, okay. Uh, so we went on, tried not to show anything. And uh, after they left, I said, did you hear that? And I had my daughter sitting there as well. I said, did you hear that? She said, yes. And one of the things we've always prayed, you guys are familiar with FCA, like I said, mm-hmm. it was FCA where I became mm-hmm. a Christian, is that one day God would open the door for us to get Project MP3 into schools. We want to reach coaches, um, FCA folks on student-athletes and coaches. Great plan. We wanted to focus on coaches and their wives and have the coaches and their wife reach the kids. Mm-hmm. Staff, mm-hmm. wives, reach kids. And when he said that, we said, okay, Lord, we better, we better pray now. Now, it's good to know what God is calling you and, and to have a, a, a vision. You got to be careful with that word of what you want to do, what God wants you to do. Well, when we first started, and I'm so glad we have all this recording. It was on uh, on record with the churches, God. We want to we want to get to the Delta one of these days. The plan then was to reach coaches in the Delta, who would be able to reach their reach their players, mm-hmm. and, and 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 just the Delta as well. We just figured with our background that the best opportunity for us would be reaching coaches. And so when he says all this, we start praying. God, what are you up to? And we say, okay, we'll at least. Be nice and return the favor by coming over. But still hadn't gotten clearance. And so we come over. 
We meet Mr. Shepard, the high school principal. Uh, we meet Mr. McGowan, the assistant superintendent. We meet Mr. Uh, Chipman, who is uh, assistant principal, athletic director, and we meet Mr. Jackson. And, uh, man, I just saw total alignment there in men that had a heart for their students uh, and wanting what was best for their students. And so now on that trip back, we think, God, you're not calling us Perigo, Arkansas. <laughs> Guys, we flow up. We don't know what to do. Once again, remember, they didn't want to leave Jonesboro. Everything we got going. So we had to go back and dig in our history. Where's God worked like this before? And it didn't take us long to get. It was the exact same thing going to Auburn. Lord, we weren't going to Auburn. Now, we have no intention of coming here. And that after making the trip, and we go back. Now, God, this goes on another few weeks. I'm trying to find my way out of this. Yeah, sure. God, yeah. No, you're not calling yeah, yeah, yeah. me. No, no, we got everything here. And so uh, the final week. Uh, Dr. J and I said, Doc, here's where we are. I said, I got to hear from God. I, I said, we'll get together and we'll pray. And so we met every morning at 7 a.m. And we would pray, God, I'm not praying for David Gunn. I'm praying for God to bring them the right football coach because mm-hmm. I, I have much more respect for these men at this time. Sure. And I see their hearts, uh, not just for the football team, but for their students. And so I'm praying for God to give them the right man. And uh, by Friday morning, I had a good idea who that man was, and I uh, told him, I said, I still wouldn't say yes. I said, uh, Doc, I need something before I give you a thumbs up, because I wanted all the guys who were participating with us with the Project MP3 ministry and through the church, Zion Church, I wanted them to hear it first. And uh, I told them, I said, guys, uh, we had to go back to what God had told us four years ago, that we come to Northwest Arkansas to raise up a body who will be willing to reach across the state. Mm-hmm to the Delta in the eastern half of the state. And uh, uh, we had no idea this was going to be the way God would work it out. That Yeah, he would take a coach and start it in the community, but we had no idea we would be that coach and wife. And uh, so I called him, and the last thing I asked him, I said, because the first time I asked those guys, guys, it's, it's Green County in the Delta. I said, no, we're not in the Delta. You know, we, when we think of Delta, we think you know, more uh, – uh, no, down in the Helena, yes, Mary, and sure. all that area. And he said, no, I don't think we're right. So go back, look at another map, specify one of your older maps, but Green County's in the upper delta. Mm-hmm. The delta runs all the way down uh, the state, uh, east, what I call the east coast, all the way down to New Dora, Arkansas, 50 miles on each side of the Mississippi, for the most part, is the general landmark for the delta. Because I was telling him, because if you're not the delta, God's not calling me. But if you're the delta... We think God has pulled off something beyond wow. our wildest imagination. <laughs> because if I'd known that, we would have never said it down the Lord. <laughs> but so that's how, that's how we got here. And, uh, that's wild. That happens on Sunday, school board meeting that Monday night. And uh, sure let that school board meeting, it started circulating pretty good at David Gunn. Oh, and my Alicia gosh. Was yeah, it came out. Yeah. I, I can't think it might have been. I don't know if you've met Tim Parrott yet. So Tim's a member of our church here and, and leads worship for us yeah. um, and all that. But I, he might have been the first person that just texted me. I can't remember who it was. It just said, hey, Paragold's hired um, David Gunn to be the football coach. And I knew your name just from ASU. And I thought, it can't be the same David Gunn. So I'm getting on there and I'm Googling, I'm trying to find something that I found out sure enough, like, Oh, that is the same guy. And then once yeah. I heard the story and I got to know just you a little bit as a man of, uh, as a follower of Christ, I'm like, okay, like that yeah, makes zero sense to the world. But when you hear your story, it's like, it just sounds like something God would do. You yeah. know, it just yeah. sounds like something God would do. So 
I'm, I'm glad that you're here. You know, obviously we'll have to have you on again at some point. I'm interested, you know, cause there's so much we could talk about, but before we end the day, I want to know, like from a football perspective, cause I even sent a couple of text messages out to people, uh, tell them you're coming to the podcast today and they were all excited. And some people were even sending me questions and, and there were several of them that sent the same question. And it was of course around like football and they're asking, how do you turn a program around like Paragold? And so this is a, I think y'all play tech the first game, uh, in the season this next year, Paragold lost to tech 65 to nothing. The last game, you know, I, I grew up here. We talked about that. Um, no matter how good Paragold or tech has been, their games have always been close. They've always been somewhat competitive just because you're playing against your buddy and you want so bad to beat your buddy at the other school. But it, that's not where the program's left off, at least this past season. So how do you take a program from where it is right now to where you want it to be? Like, What are the actual steps to get there? Uh, several things. Make sure I don't go over time here. Uh, here's what I'm telling everyone. No different than Noah preached the same sermon for 120 years. This, this is the message. The first thing we, that, that we must do is we've got to believe it can be done. And so it starts with faith. Yeah. But faith, how do you how do you how do you instill that with the work? Okay, so and that can, goes back to your very first coach, yes, right? Yes, it can be done, but it requires work and proper work, great effort. Uh, so if you truly believe, then you don't just believe. Belief is not just something in the head; it, it flows through the hands, through your through your behavior. And so now we got to start doing those things that it takes that winning programs do. Forget about who we plan. This is what winning programs do. There's a belief that we can get this done here. And what is getting it done in, in Paraguay, Arkansas, building a winning football program? And what are some of those things that winning programs do that you see that you're like, this? we have to do this if you're going to win? That's number two. Okay. It, it's my responsibility to get it done. So it can be done, requires work. It's my responsibility to get it done. Now accountability comes in. Are you willing to accept accountability for your action, which means that if we do not meet the standard, there's consequences to that. Not trying to run kids off. We want to get as many kids. I've never recruited so hard in my life as far yeah. as in the in How the many hall. kids does Paragold have in their it, program it, right now, oh, football program? You know, I, I can, couldn't give you a specific number because COVID, you got kids coming yes. back and forth, and we got uh, we got spring sports going on now. we got several kids in baseball. How many do uh, you want to see on the football oh, team? Oh, man, certainly. On a school our size? Uh, certainly 60 to 75 kids. Really? Uh, that many kids? Yeah, one of these days. About, and that's between junior high and high school? Yeah, no, 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 no. That's 10 through 12 one of these days. Uh, that's the goal. Wow. And uh, we, we'll share, uh, we don't have time today, how we plan to do that because it won't just be us and the coaches. Uh, we need community involvement there. But now accepting accountability uh, that, hey, I'm going to be responsible for my action. Here's the third, third thing. They, they, they're really very simple, but it doesn't matter if you, the New England Patriots, you, whoever's the best football team in NFL right now or college, doesn't matter, Alabama. The third thing is not about me. So we must be unselfish and we must, it requires unity. Uh, nothing divides a team more than it's about me, my scholarship, or this or that. No, work, accountability, unity, the faith. Now, not only do I have the faith, I'm going to get the work done, and I'm going to accept responsibility from my coaches, holding me accountable, and I'm going I'm going to change my th- thought process. Now, that's total counterculture today. It's not about me. It's about that guy beside me. It's about the other students that are in the hallway. I've been privileged to have the opportunity to play 
high school football. I'm going to make the most out of it. And so unselfish men, unselfish young men, and then a unified body. Administration, I see it there. Uh, I haven't spent a whole lot of time staff getting to know them throughout the staff uh, and certainly throughout our football team, our coaches. We don't. There's only one option, and that's to be unified on this is our goal to turn this around, this is how we're going to do it. And there's four quick things I'll be quick here. Establish discipline, doing everything correct. The little things correctly leads to doing the big things correctly. Two, enhance yeah. participation. Getting kids to come out. We're working very hard now. Just giving them opportunity to know me, see me, talk to me, uh, and find something that, hey, I'm going to give this a try. Now, we've had a few young men say that. And third, earning the respect of the, uh, of the faculty and community. One way uh, with the faculty is making sure our young men conduct themselves in a way in those classes, in those hallways, that the faculty will be proud of them. Then mm. the community, giving back to the community. Uh, one of the impressive things that Alicia and I saw when we come here is a school have a pantry where they help uh, you know, kids that maybe uh, need meals. And I asked them, are we willing to expand that, go from this the kids that need it now to the community, mm. from the community to the county, mm. from the county throughout the entire Delta. Mm. So we, we, we saw some things in place yeah. that, man, this thing could really go, but it's not just a football coach. It's not his wife. This is where, as a community, we can rally around uh, a call here to not only feed our kids, but meet this need throughout the Delta. So that's how we want to do, uh-huh. uh, meet the community. And then fourthly, hire excellent coaches. What's an excellent coach? Can he instruct? Uh, you got to be able to teach. And not just teach football, but life. Mm-hmm. Can you illustrate not just football, but life? We want men and their families who will come in and model before our kids, regardless of, remember, single family, my wife and I both seeing it, to model before our kids what a biblical family looks like, what a healthy family. doesn't mean you don't have, uh, the first family was dysfunction, so what about everyone? So it doesn't mean you don't have issues, but how do you handle those issues? And then, not only that, do we want them to be, be great illustrators, but intervene. You just can't sit back and just coach football. You got to be a part of the lives of the kids. Mm. I had a parent meeting. We had a parent meeting last night. Excellent turnout. Excellent questions. No, we want you to be a part of what we're doing. Mm. We want to compliment the home with what you're doing. We're asking you to compliment us. Uh, we're not going to replace mom and dad. You're not going to replace the coach. Uh, you know, we're just very candid there. You know, we have a staff. They're called plays. We're going to put your child in the best position possible to be successful in this day and time. If someone don't like that, normally that means they leave. We don't want that to happen. Keep in mind, we're trying to build a community. And the football team is one way of reaching the community. Those young men have parents. We want to reach their dads. We want to reach them with Project AP3, but we want to use that to open the door to the dads. I want That's the dads great. to always be at, feel like at home, come be a part but actually doing things with them as well, that's the plan. I love it, man. You know, strategy is is important, and I know if I, I was at your press conference. Someone asked the question about, hey, like, what's your game plan? And, you know, I loved how you were kind of like, yeah, we'll see once we get there. You know, it's not like like to you. I can't remember who said this. Someone somewhere along the way said this, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Okay. And I, that's what you're talking about is, like, that's what creates a winning program is you get a healthy culture. And if you get a healthy culture, things grow. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so I'm so glad that you're here. There's, there's, 
so much more again that we could talk about, but I want to end this podcast the same way that I do um, each episode. And it's where we have just a list of rapid fire questions and there's six of them and they're just random questions that help people get to know you and the guest a little bit more. And so um, totally random questions. And as always, those who listen to the podcast, I never give these questions ahead of time to somebody. So they're not, uh, they're not locked and loaded on their answers. So first one is this is, is what is either the last Book that you read or movie that you watched? The last book I read that we actually took to church to this was um, uh, similar, uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Yeah, Jim Cimbala. Uh, yeah, uh, the um, Brooklyn Tabernacle. Yeah. So, um, um, Jim Cimbala is great, man. Yeah, we felt like uh, uh, that the stirring of the Spirit. It's a good thing I was reading that book at the time. Uh, <laughs> is that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, all the changes we need uh, to make and all those things uh, in our community. God, he has to be involved. And so we, uh, that was the last book we read. That's a fantastic book. I'm actually quoting him tonight in our membership meeting. So, uh, favorite type of music? Um, contemporary Christian music. Uh, you gotta be careful now with that contemporary uh, word, but, uh, contemporary Christian music would be, uh, what we listen to. Excellent. Favorite meal? Uh, favorite meal? Probably whatever my wife's cooking that night. She's a good cook, but, uh, I love uh, I love fish. Uh, yeah. I got I stay away from everything else. Yeah, so fish, turkey, and chicken. So anything that's uh, baked fish, uh, it's gonna be favorite okay. for me. Right on, excellent. Uh, what is on your nightstand right now? What's on my nightstand right now is um, all uh, uh, my Bible, and uh, there's a book. Uh, I'm trying to think of a name. Passed out in. Uh, I think he's in Arizona, just written a book because uh, we taking guys through the Bible right now. Thirty from a thirty thousand feet view. Mm-hmm. I can't even think of the gentleman name, okay. but uh, yeah. excellent little book. It's just kind of an overview of the Bible, and so excellent. Th- those are things on my stand. That's great. Uh, two more questions. Give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Just an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Anything I'm doing with my grandson and my family. And then the last question, what is one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now? Wow. I, I you know, I, I can't separate myself from my wife. Uh, I'm grateful for Alicia and God giving me a woman that um, has really helped me become everything that God has me uh, called me to become. That's great. Well, Coach David Gunn, thank you so much for making space to be on the podcast, and thanks for throwing me some passes today. It's like uh, I get to mark that off my bucket list of, uh, you know, I never dreamed I'd be able to play uh, toss with a, a college football coach and man like yourself. So appreciate you carving out time for both of those things. You're quite welcome. Thank you guys <laughs> so much for having me. All right, Coach David Gunn has left the building. What an honor uh, to spend time with Coach Gunn. I still can't believe uh, that he's here in Paragould. On paper, it makes zero sense. Uh, <clears throat> there's something I've heard you say before where – Something demands an, a different explanation, a gospel explanation. You know, like he's he's serving a uh, a purpose that's beyond just like chasing a a career or a dollar. Yeah, what he's doing is, um, yeah, he's a man of faith, and he, it's pretty clear that for him, he's the kind of guy who puts God first in his life. And when that happens, I mean, it just leads you sometimes to make decisions that leave other people scratching their heads, but. Uh, man, I'm so glad that he is here. Clearly, he has had a massive impact 
on the lives of a lot of people, um, a lot of student athletes, and um, and I fully expect he's going to have an impact not just on the students and administration teachers, but honestly on, on people all throughout this city and beyond. So again, Coach Gunn, thank you so much for making time and space to be here also thank you for uh, again man tossing the football uh, do not hesitate to reach out let me know if you ever want me to come and talk to the kids i'd be happy to show them uh, how to run some of those routes so wow. okay hey speaking real quick speaking of the yep. administration i would just tip my hat to the administration on having the vision and then the um the i don't know what you'd call it the i, I probably should, i can't say this the chutzpah to go after him yeah you know the way they did oh yeah really proud that they did that they um they care about the city. They care about their school and those kids. So, yeah, it's awesome. I was talking actually with uh, I think it's the superintendent, Dr. Jankoviak, after the press conference, and I told him I was like, you know, our kids are homeschooled, but um, man, like just being here and, and hearing their vision and kind of what's happened in Paraville School District, it made me want to put my kids back in public school and uh put them in that district man it's just yeah exciting stuff happening there yeah, so good job parallel school yeah hey if you're still listening uh, we really appreciate you tuning in if you've not already done so we'd really um appreciate if you'd go and give us a five-star rating on itunes we just hit 100 five-star ratings which is pretty amazing and what that does is it helps people find us more quickly and learn more about the incredible people living here in Paragould. And so, again, if you've not uh, done so, please give us that five-star rating. Also, remember, we are on all the different social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We have a website, paragouldpodcast.com. You can subscribe to our email list as well. So, again, thanks for tuning in. Until next time.